Would you take the Word of God with me this morning and turn to the book of Acts and uh, chapter 21. In Acts chapter 21, I mentioned last week that the remainder of the book of Acts is going to pertain to Paul's uh, imprisonment. And in uh, Acts chapter 21, we're going to look at really what happened around uh, Paul's imprisonment and how he would, you know, live the remainder of his uh, ministry as a prisoner. Uh, We know that uh, much of the New Testament we have today is because, in large part, of what was done during Paul's imprisonment. Many of his uh, letters were, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, were penned uh, during those imprisonment, and so we can be grateful today for his imprisonment. And I don't mean that lightly, I mean that because of what Paul said himself. If you have your place here in Acts uh, 21, we're going to, as soon as we're done our reading... We're going to go over to Philippians and uh, chapter 1, and we're going to look at what Paul, as he looks back at his imprisonment, what he thinks about it. And I think it's important for us to note as we look at this historical record, we might come to it and say, well, this is not fair. Uh, This is uh, not right. Some people even take the opportunity to be critical of Paul, that he even went to Jerusalem after all the warnings, that somehow that he ought not to have been there, and basically that Paul brought the trouble on himself. Um, But I think later we're going to find, as Paul looks back at this event that we're going to read, he's going to let us know what he thinks about it. Now often, when we are in the moment, we can't see why God is allowing it to happen. In the moment. But by faith we continue to trust Him. Often it is only after those things are in the rear view mirror that we say, Oh, now I see what God has done. I see what God, why God allowed this to happen. Because as we're going to read here, it seems that everything is unfair. <laughs> but there's a purpose in that. And so notice with me Acts chapter 21. We're going to begin reading in verse 27. And so I would invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Acts 21, we're going to begin reading in verse 27. Aren't you glad that we have the Bible today? That's a blessing. That's a blessing. The Word of God says, Acts 21, 27, When the seven days were almost ended, the Jews which were of Asia... When they saw him, that's Paul, in the temple, stirred up all the people and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man that teacheth all men everywhere against the people and the law and this place, referring to the temple, and furthermore brought Greeks also into the temple and hath polluted this holy place. For they had seen before with him in the city of in the city Trophimus, an Ephesian whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. An emphasis on the supposed. And all the city was moved, and the people ran together, and they took Paul and drew him out of the temple, and forthwith the doors were shut. And as they went about to kill him, tidings came unto the chief captain of the band that all Jerusalem was in an uproar, who immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down unto them. And when they saw the chief captain and the soldiers, they left beating of Paul. 
Then the chief captain came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains and demanded who he was and what he had done. And some cried one thing, some another, among the multitude, and when he could not know the certainty for the tumult, he commanded him to be carried into the castle. And when he came upon the stairs, so it was, that he was born of the soldiers for the violence of the people, for the multitude of the people followed after, crying, Away with him! And as Paul was to be led into the castle, he said unto the chief captain, May I speak unto thee? Who said, Canst thou speak Greek? Art not thou the Egyptian, which before these days madest an uproar, and ledest out into the wilderness four thousand men who were murder that were murderers? But Paul said, I am of man which am a Jew of Tarsus, a city of Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city. I beseech thee, suffer me to speak unto the people. And when he had given him license, Paul stood in the stairs and beckoned with the hand unto the people. And when there was made a great silence, he spake unto them in the Hebrew tongue, saying, Men, brethren, and fathers, hear ye my defense, which I make now unto you. Paul is going to be, in this scene, beaten, imprisoned. We're going to see in the chapter 22, he's going to try to give a defense, but he's going to be unjustly bound. He's going to almost face scourging. They would try people by scourging so that they would admit their faults. And all this is unfair. And as a matter of fact, we might say, well, isn't that James's fault? And the believers of the church of Jerusalem who said that he had to go to the temple and purify himself with those four men uh, because... And so we might look at all the things that happened. We might blame the church and James and the elders of the church of Jerusalem. We might blame the Romans. We might blame the Jews in the temple. And we might do all those things. But in just a moment, we're going to look at Philippians. How does Paul look back at what happened here? What's his perspective? And so I want to preach this morning on understanding the things which happened. Understanding the things which happened. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this evening, uh, this morning for your word and for the fact that we can study it, appreciate it, and allow it to work in our hearts. Lord, may your spirit guide us into the truth. And when we sense unjust, unjust, injustice and things that may not be fair in our eyes, may we step back and uh, simply exercise our faith that we may understand the things which happen. And so we ask that you'd give us understanding and encourage us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. If you hold your place here and turn with me in just a moment, we're going to read from the book of Philippians in chapter 1. But in, if you remember, in the last chapter of the book of Acts, uh, we have uh, given a timeline as to those chapters. And really in chapter 22 and 23 and 24 and 25 and 26, he's going to appear before different people. Here he's going to appear in chapter 22 before the mob. He's going to speak to them and in a sense, he's going to give his testimony. He's going to appear before uh, the, the chief captain and before the governor and before Festus and King Agrippa. And every time he's going to give a testimony and he's going to testify of the Lord. And it should encourage us here because uh, Paul, we could say he could have been discouraged by the unfairness of the treatment and that could have adjusted his behavior. 
You know, often when we sense that something is not fair in our lives, that thing is something is not going as we think it ought to go, that often our behavior is adjusted, adjusted based upon the perceived injustice. But yet throughout all of this, Paul is going to be faithful to testify of Jesus Christ. And I wonder if we would do the same. Back in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 12 and 14, Paul's in prison here and he is writing to the believers at Philippi. And by the way, he had been in prison, if you remember, in Philippi. He had been falsely accused in Philippi. He had been beaten in Philippi. He had been in prison. And then uh, when they told him that he could go, he reminded them, Oh no, I am a Roman citizen. And I've been in prison unjustly. And he confronted them about it and then they feared. And, and here, so he's writing to those believers who are familiar with Paul's imprisonment. Now he is in prison. And here is what he's writing to the believers in Philippi in Philippians 1 verse 12. But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happen unto me... What things? Well, Acts chapter 21 through Acts chapter 27. All those things that happened that leads up to his time in prison when he writes this letter that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So he says this, I would... That ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happen unto me, two benefits, the furtherance of the gospel, and now many believers who have seen the bonds of Paul are much more bold to speak the word without fear. And so Paul looks back at all that happens to him. Unjust? Yes, unjust. But God can always use injustice for good. The cross, the Jews and the Roman who crucified him, having been untried, having done no wrong, the result is our salvation. And that's what God does. And Paul is able to step back and he says, I want you to understand the things which happen unto me. So let's go back to Acts chapter 21 and let's consider those things that happened. What things happened? I'm going to give you here the, 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 the outline here. We're going to look really at four basic things that happened to Paul. The first thing we're going to look at is the outrage of the mob. Then we're going to look at the intervention of the captain, the chief captain. And then we're going to look at the defense of Paul. He's going to defend himself. And then we're going to look briefly at the benefit of the law. But as we begin here in our text, in Acts chapter 21, notice verse 27, we continue really the, 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 the account that we're reading is continuing. If you remember last time uh, where we picked up, the reason that Paul is spending so much time in the temple is because he was told uh, by the elders of the church of Jerusalem and by James to participate in the purification with the four men, and that's back in verse 23 through verse 26. And that's why he's been in the temple, because the, the, the stirring of the crowd is important. Before we get to the stirring of the crowd, it did not arise because Paul was preaching in the temple. 
It arose because he was present in the temple. That's important. Now, we know that the mobs have happened because he was preaching before. It, whether it was in a synagogue or out in an open marketplace, the mob would gather and they would, uh, they would uh, throng around Paul because of his preaching. But that's not what happens here. He is simply walking around in the temple and they spot him. And so notice here, verse 27, as we begin our text, we pick up where we left off last. And when the seven days were almost ended, what seven days? The days of purification. And so basically for the last seven days, we're almost at the end of those seven days. He's almost completed this time of purification. And I explained last week why he was doing that. Basically, Paul wrote to the church of Corinth. He says, to the Jew, I came as a Jew. To the Gentile, I came as a Gentile. And so he's doing those things because he's trying to honor those things. Although he doesn't believe those things will save a man. But he is uh, not trying to offend the Jew. But yet they're still offended by his very presence in the temple. And we, we pick it up here. And so the reason he is in the temple, he's almost fulfilled those seven days. And he is spotted by the Jews in verse 27. The Jews which were of Asia, when they saw him in the temple, stirred up the people and laid hands on him. And so I want us to see here, as we look here at how this account unfolds, Paul is going to be treated all along unfairly. And yet throughout all that, every time he has an opportunity, he's going to testify of Christ testify of Christ. I want you to notice, first of all, in our text, the mob's outrage. The mob's outrage. If you notice here, as we think about this mob that is going to develop, and evidently the whole city is going to be overtaken, the chief captain is going to be so concerned that they're going to come down and see what is happening. And so the whole city is going to be overtaken. And so this mob, we notice, first of all, in our text, the source of the mob. Who are these people that incited the mob? Uh, verse 27 tells us it was the Jews which were of Asia. Now it's interesting here because it's not the Jews of Jerusalem. It's the Jews that were of Asia. So the initial instigators of the mob were not the Jews from Jerusalem. They were the Jews from Asia. Now remember that Paul had been faithfully preaching and planting churches all throughout Asia Minor. Uh, we read from right uh, uh, Antioch and Iconium and Lystra and Derby, and if you go on all the way on the west coast, you have uh, Ephesus, where he had spent really the majority of his time in his third missionary journey before he came here. And so all this time there were Jews all in those cities and they would come to Jerusalem just like, as, as Paul would for the observance of feast or for the day of Pentecost and so on. And so those Jews are not from Jerusalem, they're from Asia probably from different cities, but they had known Paul. They had seen Paul, probably interacted with Paul in the synagogues in those areas. And so now they see Paul and they are acquainted with him and they're the ones who are instigating this mob. Now, so in our study of Acts, we have come to understand that in Asia, Paul often went to the synagogues first. And we also know that the Jews in those synagogues were always the first antagonists to the gospel. And so these Jews now are back in Jerusalem uh, for the feast and they recognize Paul who had been there in their respective city of Asia. If you remember, uh, they were in, uh, when he went on his first missionary journey, he went uh, Antioch, 
Iconium and Lystra and Derby. You remember when they heard, they heard uh, on his second missionary, later when he's in Thessalonica and goes down to Berea, uh, who chased him? It was the Jews. In both of those cases, the Jews heard that he went to another city and then he preached. And so they, as a group, they went, moved from one city to the next just to oppose Paul. And so now they're in Jerusalem and here he is again. He's everywhere. So they're agitated. But by the way, I want us to be reminded that the first enemies of the gospel in Christianity uh, and Christianity were devoutly religious people. The first antagonists to Christianity were the devoutly religious people. And by the way, history also stands as a witness that religions have been the chief persecutors of biblical Christianity. You see, this can be observed uh, all throughout history that there's, uh, by the way, we believe there's always been a group that's held to biblical doctrine, to the Word of God, and they've always been primarily uh, opposed by religious groups. And so these enemies here uh, were not uh, atheists and non-religious. They were religious people. They were people that believed in God. They were people who, as a matter of fact, were in the temple at that very time. And so we see here that the source of the mob was those Jews who were in Asia. But then we see the stirring of the mob. And so the Bible says that uh, uh, all men were against the people. Uh, notice verse 27, the Jews which were of Asia, when they saw him in the temple, stirred up the people and laid hands on him. Now I want you to notice there are several things that we see here. The first thing we see is that there was a public accusation. Um, and this lets us know that this, these Jews and this mob, they were not interested in justice. They were only interested in Paul's death. They were not interested in justice. They are only interested in Paul's death. Now, notice what they say in verse 30. And all the city was moved, and the people ran together, and they took Paul and drew him out of the temple, and forthwith the doors were shut. So they drew him out of the temple. They went about according to, um, uh, later notice in verse uh, 36, at the end they say, away with him. Now what does that mean, away with him? Well, if you go to chapter 22, verse 22, and they gave him audience unto his word, and then lifted up their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for it is not fit that he should live. What was their intention? Now, by the way, the beating here, uh, verse 31, they went about to kill him. So the reason why they incited the mob was to kill. And so there was a public accusation. The stirring of the people was to kill the Apostle Paul. Not only was it a public accusation, but it was also a false accusation. No, there's two main accusations that we find in our text. The first one, he was accused for, of teaching certain things. And the second accusation was of polluting the temple. Notice verse 28, he says, uh, well, verse 28, he says, And crying out, men of Israel, help, this is the man that teacheth all the men everywhere against the people. Now, remember, these were the Jews from Asia. So they had known that Paul had been everywhere. <laughs> by the way, by the way, what a good example of where the gospel ought to go. Everywhere. Everywhere. 
And so we know when the command was given initially in Acts chapter 1, it says go, uh, that you're supposed to be witnesses both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost part of the earth. And the book of Acts is the record of them fulfilling that command. So we have to ask, how are we doing? Can somebody say, man, these people are just everywhere. They're witnessing everywhere. I see their tracks everywhere. I go to the neighboring town and I still see their tracks. They're just everywhere. May God help us that that would be us. Notice he says, uh, he teaches everywhere the people. Notice he against the people and the law and this place. Uh, And so here's the accusation. He is against the people, the Jews. He is against the law, Moses' law, and he is against the temple. Now, he's not against the people. He's preaching the gospel to people. Uh, You see, disagreement does not mean I'm against you. Now, I know the culture we live in today, and everybody gets offended at everything. And so just because you have a disagreement with somebody uh, does not mean that you're against them. <laughs> but yet they interpreted it uh, that way. And they say he's also against the law. Now, look, simply taught, we look through the book of Acts and all the preaching of the apostle Paul. He's not against the law. He's just said that the law does not bring salvation. That's all he said. He's not against the law. Actually, he's for the law. Why? Because the law is our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. It helps us to recognize that we are sinners undone under the wrath of God. And then we will be damned in hell forever if we don't trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, who on the cross was our substitute. He died, He became sin for us, He who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. And so Paul would say, look, righteousness does not come by the law. You're not good enough, but Jesus is. So that's all he said. He's not, he's not maligning the law. He's not criticizing the law. He just said the law can't save you. So he's not against the people. He's not against the law. And he's not against the temple. He's in the temple. <laughs> he's not outside the temple telling people not to go in. He's performing a, a, a Jewish ritual. And so what, what, what do they want? He's not against the temple. As a matter of fact, I'm looking throughout all of the record and he didn't say anything criticizing the temple at all. Now, the accusation was against his teaching, but then, that was a false accusation, but then also they accused him of his pollution. Notice at the end of verse 28 he says, and further, here's the second accusation, brought Greeks also into the temple and hath polluted this holy place. And here's a parenthesis, important. For they had seen before with him in the city, what city? Jerusalem. Trophimus, an Ephesian, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. So here's the, 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 the simple truth. They had never actually seen Trophimus in the temple. It's not like they caught Paul right there in the temple. Oh, look, he's with Trophimus. No, they supposed. Since they saw Paul sometime in the city walking around with Trophimus, who was an Ephesian, they said, well, he probably brought him to the temple. They had actually never saw him in the temple. And by the way, Paul would not have done that. One of the evidence we know that Paul would have done that is because he was faithful not to offend the Jews. You remember uh, when he asked Timothy to come with him, remember, he circumcised Timothy. Some people say, well, why did he circumcise Timothy? The only reason he circumcised Timothy was that so that Timothy, who was profitable for the ministry, could preach in the synagogue. His mom was a Jew, but his father was a Gentile. Timothy was not circumcised, but Paul wanted uh, Timothy to preach in the synagogue, and in order to preach in the synagogue, he had to be circumcised. That's all he did. It was for the furtherance of the gospel. 
It was not for salvation. It was not because it was required. It was to give Timothy an opportunity. And he knew that if Timothy was not circumcised, he could not preach in the temple. Uh, or in not just the temple, but in the synagogues. So, they accused Paul of pollution. Pollution. Um, now remember, we read of uh, Trophimus in chapter 20. He was one of the men that accompanied Paul to come uh, with him to Jerusalem in Acts chapter 20, verse 4. And so Trophimus had arrived in Jerusalem with Paul. They made a basically a leap after seeing Trophimus in Jerusalem with Paul. They said that somehow Paul had brought him in the temple, supposedly. Now, the way it worked, Gentiles could come to the temple, they just couldn't enter into the temple. There was different sections. And so they could be on the outer uh, part of the temple, but they couldn't come into the temple and participate there. Uh, that's why, by the way, it was the same in the synagogue. You remember uh, when Paul would go to a city, he would first preach to the Jews, and then after he preached to the Jews, when they rejected, then he would go to the Gentiles. Often the Gentiles would say, hey, would you preach to us? Well, you say, well, what, do you, what does that mean? They would stand outside of the synagogue. They were not allowed inside the synagogue. But they heard the words of Paul from outside. And so when Paul would exit the synagogue, they'd say, hey, can you preach to us? We've heard, we've been hearing what you've been saying. And so it's the same place here. So that's the accusation. And, and so to the Jew, it would be pollution. There's a Gentile. He brought a Gentile in the temple. Uh, so here, here's what this was. It was a lie. It was a lie. We suppose. By the way, it's very dangerous to suppose things. We see something and we interpret and we suppose that, well, this happened or this happened and we really don't know. Be very careful with that. Here's the reason why. Because lies often move people to action quicker than the truth. Lies always move people quicker to action than the truth. Say, Pastor, how is that? It's just the way it is. Now, that's part of our sinful nature. That's part of human, uh, fallen human nature that we're always quick to believe a lie than we are to the truth. I like what uh, one commentator wrote. He says, It is always easier to rouse men to fight for their religion than to live by it. And that is so true. And so true here for the Jews. So uh, we see here the, the source of the mob, the, the stirring of the mob and I want to pay attention here to the action of the mob. Uh, notice verse 30, the Bible says, And all the city was moved, and the people ran together, and they took Paul and drew him out of the temple, and forthwith uh, shut the door. If you read verse 30 through 32, you see the people ran, they took Paul, they drew him out of the temple, they shut the doors of the temple, they went about to kill him, verse 31, uh, when they saw the chief captain of the soldiers, they left beating Paul, in verse 32. Uh, <laughs> Oh, the hypocrisy of the mob, how evident it is. They were okay with dragging Paul out of the temple, and they were okay with killing him without a proper trial. You remember, it's, it's hearsay. Supposedly, he has brought a Gentile in the temple. Uh, but they thought it terrible to have a foreigner worshiping in the temple. What hypocrisy. Let's drag him out. Let's beat him. Let's kill him. Why? Because he brought a Gentile to worship in the temple. If we're not careful, we may have that same attitude sometimes. 
we, we, we may forget that other people who are not like us. Be very careful when you say that. We're all sinners saved by the grace of God. And I think somehow the Jews have forgotten all about the Old Testament. You say, what do you mean? Well, Rahab. Ruth. All those Gentile women. By the way, who are mentioned in Matthew chapter 1 as being part of the lineage of Christ. So the action of the mob is uh, one that could be described as hypocritical. So we see here the, the mob's outrage, but then we move in our text to the captain's intervention. And so very quickly there's an intervention from verse 31 to verse 36. A uh, word quickly comes to the chief captain. Uh, by the way, Jerusalem was under the control of Rome. That was true during the time of Christ. It's still true here during the time of the Apostle Paul. Rome was uh, very strict, and they always uh, swiftly responded to mobs and riots. Uh, and that was something that was big in the Roman Empire. And so we notice here that this intervention was both quick and also successful. Verse 31 says that when they went about to kill him, tidings came unto the chief captain of the band, and all Jerusalem was in uproar. They actually had, uh, historically, they had a tower, a Roman tower that was close by the temple. And so anytime that there was an uproar, a soldier who was sat on the tower would send word very quickly to the chief captain in Jerusalem, and they would make an intervention because often the stirrings took place around the temple for some reason. <laughs> And so uh, the, the Romans would often intervene very quickly and uh, those that was successful, verse 32, who, notice, immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down unto them. And when they saw the chief captain and the soldiers, they left beating Paul. And so I say here it was both quick and successful, quick in that they responded immediately and successful that as soon as they saw the soldiers, they stopped beating him. Why? Because they have no authority to do that. You remember why they brought Jesus Christ? Because they had no authority to stone Jesus Christ. The typical Jewish punishment was stoning. That's according to their law, by the way. Uh, Leviticus and Deuteronomy and Exodus, that's, that's the punishment. Death by stoning. But they had no authority. So they had to turn Jesus Christ over to the Roman authority, and then they had to try to pressure the Roman authority. And so here, they see the soldiers coming and they stop. And so it was quick and both also successful. And so from this moment on here, from verse 33 through the remainder of the book, Paul is going to be a prisoner of Rome. Paul was not in prison here. When we come here, Paul was not in prison. Uh, and his imprisonment didn't come about because of... Um, he was not in prison. It didn't come about... Because of the Jewish mob, he was not imprisoned because the Romans saw him as a threat. He was imprisoned because of the Jewish mob. He was not a threat. But it's the mob that caused the Romans to imprison him. You see, the imprisonment then was not just a, their intervention was quick and successful, but also the imprisonment was both unjust and unlawful. It was unjust. Uh, notice in verse 33, then the chief captain came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains and demanded who he was and what he had done. Just so you know, that is not the way it worked. That's not the way it worked under the law. 
He was not bound because of any crimes he had committed. He was bound because there was a raging mob that was not in accordance to Roman law, by the way. The reason I say that is you, if you turn with me to chapter 22, notice verse 35. Later when uh, Paul has the conversation, or uh, excuse me, verse 25, Acts 22, 25, And as they bound him with tongs, Paul said unto the centurion that stood by, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man that is a Roman and... What's the next word? They had no right to take him. Why? Because he was uncondemned. Uncondemned. So this imprisonment was unlawful. It was not just unlawful, it was unjust. Verse 34 says, of, of chapter 21, And some cried one thing, and some another. What, what is that? The accusation against Paul. Now there were, they had a rule, that you had to have witnesses, but they all had to agree. And here, so somebody shouts, well, he did this. And the other one said, well, he did this. What, is, what did they say? We don't know. But they did not agree in what Paul had done. In the accusation. And so notice here, it is not only unlawful, his imprisonment, but it was also unjust. The chief captain did not receive any evidence of wrongdoing, yet he commanded Paul to be imprisoned. The mob blinded the chief captain of any sense of justice. By the way, we see how that happens in our day. Probably in the last few years. You've seen how, how, how some people have been imprisoned and condemned. Why? Because there's a mob outside. And everybody's afraid of the mob. And so their sense of justice is blinded. That's exactly what happens here. This imprisonment is both unlawful and it is unjust. Uh, so we see here uh, the mob's rage. We see the captain's intervention. But then we see the apostle's defense. So Paul's going to defend himself. Notice verse 37. It, now, if, I think if it was us, maybe we might sense, you know, I don't want to talk to these people. What people? The mob. Would you like to talk to these people who try to beat you and kill you? Drag you out of the temple by force and all those things? Well, I want you to notice what Paul says at verse 37. And as Paul was to be led into the castle, he said unto the chief captain, May I speak unto thee? Who said, now the chief captain responds and he says, Canst thou speak Greek? Here is what they come away with, verse 38. Uh, this is what the Roman says. Art not thou that Egyptian, which before these days made us an uproar, and led us out into the wilderness four thousand men who were murderers? And Paul said, I am a man which am of a Jew of Tarsus. So there was confusion evidently, right? The chief captain had thought Paul to be some Egyptian that had made an uproar in the last few days. So evidently somebody, somebody had accused Paul of that. He is the Egyptian that's been uh, causing the uproar and uh, led those murderers outside of the city. And so as he's being led to the castle, uh, he hears Paul speak in Greek. And he's like, you speak Greek? What, 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 what's going on? I thought you were that Egyptian. So there's confusion. And here's the clarification in verse 36. Here's what Paul says. I am a man which am a Jew of Tarsus, a city of Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city, and I beseech thee, suffer me to speak unto the people. He wants to speak to the people. 
It's a mob. I wouldn't want to speak to them. I would just try to kill me, but he wants to speak to them. Here's what Paul says. We know that he spoke Greek, that he was a Jew, that he was of Tarsus, and that he was a citizen of that city and that region of Cilicia. Now, the reason why this is important is for the following reason. First of all, he spoke Greek. The chief captain realizes that Paul spoke Greek. He, include, he concludes that Paul, therefore, is not that Egyptian that had led the Arpor. You know what that means? That technically speaking, under the law, he would be free to go. But he was not. Then he says, I'm a Jew. This would come as another shock. Why the Jews? Why are the Jews rebelling against a, a Jew? Uh, this would come as a surprise to the chief captain. You see, usually Jews were agitators, agitated by those who were Gentiles. Now we know, yes, he's a Jew according to the flesh, but he's a saved man. And so he's not a Jew in the religious sense. He's a Jew by virtue of birth in uh, his, his lineage, but he is a Christian. He, he is a believer. But here it would come as a surprise. To the, well, what do you mean a Jew? Why are they agitated with you then? But he also says that he is of the city of Tarsus. Now, the city of Tarsus was a city of Cilicia. Uh, being born in Tarsus meant that Paul was a citizen of a free city. You see... Tarsus was a free city. This meant that Paul was a Roman citizen. Now, the reason why I say this is because not everybody under the Roman Empire enjoyed a Roman citizenship. Uh, as a matter of fact, if you'd go to different uh, places, people would have different rights. If you were a Roman citizen, you would have certain rights. But if you were not, you didn't have the same rights. But here when he says, I am a citizen of Tarsus, it meant that he was not only a Roman citizen, but he had certain rights and privileges that accompanied Roman citizenship. Uh, by the way, this was given by authority of Julius Caesar, highest authority. He mentions that he is a citizen. And um, we're going to see here in a few moments that Paul enjoyed the privileges of his Roman Citizenship, which brings us to the last point, and that is the law's benefit. If you go over with me to chapter 22, notice we'll skip over here uh, the actual words of Paul as he speaks to the mob. But notice if we come to verse 20, 22 of chapter 22, he says, And they gave him audience unto this word, and then lifted up their voices and said, Away with such a fellow. Now notice verse 22, And they gave him audience unto this word. What, what was the last word he spoke? Verse 21. Gentiles. Oh, it aggravated them. And they gave him audience unto this word. So they listened to him until he said the word Gentiles. And then they got agitated again. But I want you to notice here, the chief captain in verse 24 commanded him to be brought into the castle and bathed that he should be examined by scourging that he might know whereof they, they cried so against him. And as they bound him with uh, thongs, Paul said unto the centurion that stood by, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man that is a Roman and uncondemned? You see, Roman citizens had this privilege. You ready for it? We are, we're familiar with it. You're innocent until you're proven guilty. Those who were not Roman citizens did not enjoy that privilege. 
And he says, you're about to scourge me to try to get the truth out of me. And I'm a Roman citizen and I'm uncondemned. You have no right to scourge me under the law. So he used the law to his advantage because he was a Roman citizen. Uh, Notice he keeps going. He said, uh, verse 26, when the centurion heard that he uh, went and told the chief captain, saying, take heed what thou doest, for this man is a Roman. Then the chief captain came and said unto him, Tell me, are thou Roman? And he said, Yea. And the chief captain answered, With a great sum obtained I this freedom. Now, the chief captain, when he says that, With a great sum obtained I this freedom, this would typically mean he was probably a Greek. The reason why I say that is because those who enjoy Roman citizenship were those who were uh, from Italy under the Roman Empire, but the Roman Empire expanded and conquered Greek, right? The Grecian Empire fell under the Roman Empire, And a lot of those Greek cities, though, uh, the Greeks could enlist as soldiers, and they could also apply for Roman citizenship, but it was at a great price. Not only had they had to pay, but they had to serve a certain amount of time to enjoy the citizens, uh, the, the, the benefits of a Roman citizen. And he said, look, I paid a, a great price for the citizenship. And here's what Paul says. And Paul said, verse 28, but I was born, but I was free born. You see, Paul, by virtue of his birth, where? In Tarsus, a city of Cilicia, which under the authority of Rome was granted the citizenship. Everybody in Tarsus had a Roman citizenship by virtue of where they were born. That's why Paul says, I am from no mean city. It was a, Tarsus was a city that was exalted, was held in high, high esteem at that time. I think about those words, I was free born. <laughs> I was born with certain rights who the chief captain had to pay for and work for. He was born free. And so we see here that in all of this, there is going to be Unreasonable, unreasonableness and irrationality in the way that Paul is going to be dealt with. Not only from the Jews, but also from the Romans. And even when Paul brings up the law, and, and I believe as, as Christians that if the law is to our advantage, we should use the law to our advantage. And by the way, I'm grateful that we live in the United States of America. The freest country in the world. And I say that because I've been to a lot of different countries. Grew up in, in Europe and so on. Went to Spain and Italy and Greece and Bulgaria, Germany and England and all those countries. And there's nothing, no country that is quite as free as the, as the United States of America. And we might say that we are freeborn. We enjoy certain privileges and rights because we are citizens of America. And uh, you know what? Let's use the freedom we have. But you know what freedom all often calls us to do? Not to use our privileges, but to sit idly by while we enjoy those privileges. Isn't it interesting that it's true throughout, human, throughout church history that the church that is persecuted is the church that multiplies the best? Why is that? Isn't that strange? Shouldn't it multiply the best when it enjoys the freedom? No. Because freedom always brings about complacency. But not for Paul. I'm done here, but I 
we look at the progression of all this, we say, man, this is, this is not fair, this is unjust. Even Paul, he uses the law to his advantage. He, was, he should not have gone through this. Everything that he's gone through is unfair, from the mob to the Roman, and he actually presented his case, and he was right. He was right. But he was still in prison. Through the remainder of the book, he's going to go before Festus and King Agrippa. He's going to take a journey to Rome because he appealed unto Caesar. There's going to be the shipwreck. He finally gets to Rome and all that stuff. But then when he's in Rome, he looks back at all that happened and he says, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning things, those things which happened unto me, that they have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. I want you to understand something. Everything that I've gone through so far has been unjust. It's been unfair. But God has used it. God has used it for the furtherance of the gospel. You know where his mind was? In the gospel. And sometimes I think we might get so agitated and we might not look and understand the things which happen unto us because we're, we're concerned only about the things that happened and not what those things bring about. We just get so focused on those things which happened. And we get troubled and discouraged and we give up. Why? Because of the things which happened. Instead of by faith saying, well God, how are you going to use that for the furtherance of the gospel? How are you going to use it? What, what is it that you want to do? How is it God that you want to use me? Now for Paul in Philippians 1 says, the reason he came to Rome, what is the benefit? Now the gospel has been preached in all the palace. Well what other palace is there but Rome? but the, the greatest palace in all the world at that time. There is, I believe, saved people in the palace because of people who heard Paul's testimony. And not only that, but other believers who heard of Paul's bonds, they were emboldened to speak the word of God because of Paul's imprisonment. And by the way, those things are always true when you study history, the history of the martyrs. That when somebody has been mistreated and unjustly treated, it always stirs up other people to rise up to speak on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not to be silenced. We would say, well, it's unjust. Everybody retreat. Everybody hide. No, that's not what happens. Everybody comes out of the woodwork. That's what happens. The quote uh, that some of you have heard, I've probably said this before, that the blood of the martyr is the seed of the saints. Wherever the blood of believers and martyrs have been shed, more people have come to serve God as a result of that. You see, we are not to live by faith, uh, not to live by sight. We are to live by faith. You know what that means? That we cannot have our eyes on our present circumstances. But with the help of God, look to God and says, help us to understand why those things happened. And that the result of that, it's not going to be our comfort that's going to be the chief pursuit. It's going to be the glory of God and the gospel of Christ. So may the Lord help us to understand the things which happen.